Hello, and welcome to the Self-Sufficient Podcast. I'm Carl from selfsufficienthub.com, and I'm here to talk about all things self-sufficiency. Being sustainable and food security matters. Today I'm talking with Blair and Ethan Bench from the Survival Bros podcast. Their podcast is aimed at preppers. It's an American podcast, so they do talk about things like guns and hunting, but they also talk about food preservation and general preparedness. There is a lot of crossover between the sort of principles used by people who would consider themselves to be preppers and people who would consider themselves to be self-sufficient. There's a a large crossover, particularly within people who are looking to live completely off-grid. So I thought it would be interesting for us to have a conversation and talk about some of the differences between how we look at things. I think the more you discuss around a subject, the more you learn about it. So hopefully you enjoy the podcast. I certainly enjoy talking to them. So without any further preamble, here's the interview. Hello, everybody. Thanks for listening. I've got with me today Blair and Ethan Bench from the Survival Bros podcast. And we're going to have a conversation about the differences between prepping and self-sufficiency and survivalists and all the different things and categories that people talk about like homesteading and how they converge around quite a lot of themes that are the same and we're going to have a bit of a chat about what the differences are between how their audience might look at something and how my audience might look at something so welcome to the show hey thanks carl it's good to be here yeah it's good to be here excellent Excellent. So do you want to just introduce yourselves and say a little bit about yourselves? Sure. I'll, um, I'll go first, Ethan, if that's okay. Yep. Um, my name is Blair. I live in Utah in the United States. Um, I'm an army veteran. Uh, I work in law enforcement and I've been really interested in just preparing for the future for probably my whole life. Uh, so I've just been interested in these t- kinds of topics and learning a lot along the way and just I'm glad to share some of my knowledge. Yeah, my name is Ethan and I'm Blair's uh, younger brother and uh, I've never been quite as uh, I guess enthusiastic about prepping earlier in life. I mean we grew up kind of in that I think that uh mold or that that way of life but uh it was never really a big part of my life until i more recently and because of blair you know talking to him and you know kind of realizing the importance of it i've uh been trying my best to get as prepared as possible for all kinds of situations but i live in uh indian in indiana indianapolis area in the united states as well well Welcome aboard. And uh, so how are you finding things at the moment? I'm assuming that you are in a better position than a lot of people insofar as the the pandemic. I mean, being preppers, you'd like to think you were relatively well prepared. Do you feel that you are well prepared and you feel quite comfortable? Uh, go ahead, Ethan. So for me, it's, yeah, it was really almost lucky, I guess, is that we started this about 
probably six months ago, uh, Blair and I doing our podcast and me just working on getting more prepared where, yeah, I've been able to uh, build up food storage, build up uh, water storage and some other preps, I guess, where, you know, obviously there's a lot of holes where uh, you realize some things that you don't have. Um, but overall, yeah, it's, uh, it was a good timing where I feel a lot less stressed than it, I could have been throughout this whole pandemic. Good. I, I certainly, I certainly feel the same way. I feel that um, it was, I feel very blessed and lucky that when, you know, things started running out at the supermarkets and what have you, we didn't feel under the same pressure and stress that a lot of the population were under because even though uh, we wouldn't necessarily be considered preppers we were certainly prepared because of the nature of what we do you know and and moving towards a self-sufficient lifestyle where we're producing all of our own food um it's not really as nearly as concerning when you see you know the the food security and the uh, supply chains look a bit wobbly and uh it's certainly something we were very, very appreciative to, to be in the position of. So when it comes to food specifically, I would say, and please do correct me and, and tell me what you think if it's any different, but I would say the main difference between a homesteader or someone who's trying to work towards self-sufficiency and someone who would consider themselves to be a prepper would be in this, the sort of the very long-term view I don't really have a short term view. I imagine our medium term view is quite similar. We've always got three months or more food around because we have to preserve things when they're in season to last the year. But very short term, we're just like anybody else. We, we just eat in the food that we have. And, but very long term, we're kind of we've got a perpetual system of producing food. So we're not worried about storage beyond a year. How do you feel about those differences and is there anything you'd like to say to sort of disagree with what I've said or agree with what I've said? I would agree wholeheartedly with what you said. Um, I think here in the United States, a lot of people might feel overwhelmed by, um, you know, starting a garden or, or starting small livestock, but those are, can just like supplement or, or add to your, your food storage if you have food storage. And I think, um, I think both should be part of a holistic strategy for, for um, preparing for the future or just living if you enjoy doing it. Sure. So would you say that, do, do you keep gardens? Do you produce any of your own food yourselves? Um, I have had a cart garden for the past few years. Um, nothing too productive i've had some potatoes um beets a few little things um i'm just kind of still learning how to do it but our father was really into it we always had lots of corn lots of beans lots of tomatoes and carrots ethan yeah yeah i'm not quite at that point yet with the garden um i'm still renting the house i live so uh, there's just grass in the back. I don't have quite as much freedom. And I do have, I mean, I know there's ways around it where I could, I could start and it's something that I'd like to do, but I'm, I'm not at the point where I'm growing. Uh, I'm not self-sustaining much at all at this point. Sure. Sure. So when it comes to food storage and 
um, again, the differences between how we might look at things. One of the things that's would would be a big problem for me if I was trying to store beyond what we do naturally as part of our sort of cyclic system would be the space that it takes up. Is that something that you butt up against or how do you look at that? Yeah, that can be a problem. Um, we have a small house and we're preparing for um, a child in June. Um, so yeah, it can be hard to, to, um, to find the space for it. Um, do you, I know you have a lot of um, livestock and such. Do you freeze it? Do you have like a deep freezer or anything like that? Yeah, so we do freeze. Um, I'm, so I'm still very much learning and I consider myself to be quite near the start of this, this journey still. So I've got a hell of a lot still to learn, but I'm very, I've always been much like yourselves um, right since I was a boy, I've been very interested in just the whole survivalist side of things. Nothing excites me more than the idea of just disappearing into the wilderness, coming back six months <laughs> later and being two pounds fatter, you know, and, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I love that idea. So for me, I genuinely enjoy learning the skills of food preservation. And so, you know, I, I, at the moment, we've got one big chest freezer and one upright freezer in our kitchen so it's it's enough for us but it wouldn't be enough if we wanted to say butcher once a year but that's not really an issue for us because we can we can butcher sort of three times a year so that that's plenty enough to, for our freezers to cope with but i'd also like the idea of curing uh salt drying uh smoking and all those kind of things so that we can preserve meat not in the freezer it's not something that i've really started yet but i have i mean i do make my own bacon and things like that but it's something that very much interests me as something to get into down the road you're making my mouth water <laughs> well salt drying and curing fish is the easiest thing in the world and of course you know you don't need to be the the greatest hunter in the world to be catching your own fish so that's certainly something to to start with i do a bit of that but not nearly as much as I would like to do. Yeah, we. Yeah, that's all. There's just so much to learn. Yeah, yeah, it's never ending, and I think that's for me. That's a huge part of it. You've got to enjoy the learning, enjoy the process, because there's no, there's no real finish line. Much like yourself, so I imagine there's no. Once I get here, I'm done. It's always a case of learning and developing and tweaking and if you don't enjoy that process then i don't think you could really do it with any success yeah for sure yeah absolutely there's there's always a lot to learn and you know when i started this and i thought okay we we just do a podcast once per week and you know i if it was just my ideas where i'm coming from we would have ran out of ideas probably a long time ago but uh there's always more to learn on each topic and um it's it's been a fun process to to grow and learn with it yeah i mean i certainly find the podcast a good way of learning as well because you the, the i've often said the best way to learn something is to teach it and once you start talking about something and trying to teach something then you uh, it forces you to think about it on much deeper levels because you end up forcing yourself to explain why things work to yourself and i think that's a great way of learning something yeah, that's a good point. You you don't really understand something until you can articulate it and and kind of show what you know. 
Absolutely. It's really easy for you to get in touch with us and leave us your questions, feedback or ideas for the show. If there's anything you'd like to hear about or a question you've got about something I've said, just leave us a message. The easiest way to do that is to contact us via the show notes. In the show notes, there's a link where you can send us a voice message and we can play it on the show. Please don't forget to leave your name and where you're calling from. Thanks. Now back to the show. The the next sort of category, if you like, it's only a small one. <clears throat> and again, getting back to what I said at the start of the episode about talking about the differences between self-sufficiency and preparedness is the, and I know it's a bit of a, a debate within the, the prepping community anyway, but skills versus gear. How do you feel about that? I am, I feel very strongly um, that the gear is not going to help you if you haven't practiced with it and if you haven't uh, actually used it. So that's, that's going to be a big focus of our podcast in the future and of my preparations. So um, I, like, I, I, uh, go on. Go, oh, just, go just as, just as an example, uh, Ethan and I talked about fire making on the last podcast episode Yeah, and how like you can, you can buy all the fancy gear. You can buy, you know, matches, lighters, you can buy, um, different tinders that catch fire easily but unless you know the components of a fire if you know how to unless you know how to do it unless you practice it's not going to help you that much you could still uh, fail miserably in your fire making efforts which both ethan and i have you know we talked about (laughs) well so i think there are from my point of view i think the skills are, are the sort of the the foundation of everything because once you've got the skills, the gear makes it easier. And I'm certainly not knocking anyone who has the ability to go out and buy all the gear that they want and, you know, the best knives and the best of everything. That's great if you're in a position to do that. But like you say, without the skills, the gear can be a lot of wasted uh, investment that could have gone elsewhere. Whereas when you've got the skills, you can almost, you almost put yourself in a position to make do with gear that isn't perfect and with gear that perhaps you, you 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 didn't expect a need for the purpose but you can make do with it because your skill levels are there oh absolutely if you look at some of the best like say survival instructors um some of the ones that i look up to i'm trying to think of his name right now a guy who teaches aboriginal living like in arizona but he just right. uses a, a cheap i think it's like a 12 dollar mora knife that he hangs around his neck yeah you know he doesn't have you know the fanciest knife and and uh, he does perfectly well with that i think as long as you've got a knife you can uh, you can almost you can almost just about get by with it at any situation i always i always carry a multi-tool and i think i wouldn't want to be without that it's amazing how often once you become accustomed to having it and the higher you know a decent a decent quality multi-tool i think is worth the money the better quality multi-tool the more often you find yourself reaching for it but other than that i think you can get by without a lot of stuff yeah it kind of reminds me of a there's a popular picture that went around social media at one point that it showed a guy trying to get over a wall and he's standing on a just kind of a group of ladders that are 
down on their sides, not propped up. And I think it's the cap. The caption says, "You can have all the resources in the world, but if you don't know how to use them, it it won't make a difference," or something like that. Yeah, I so, love that. I love that. Talking of um, internet memes, uh, have you seen the one? Have you seen the one <laughs> regarding the uh, the current pandemic that says prepping was a lot more fun when it was a hobby? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I did enjoy that. Home. Yeah, yeah I, I did enjoy that. Yeah, we so, had quite a scare here in Utah like a month ago. Just as soon as this pandemic was gaining steam, we had a, a pretty strong earthquake. And uh, actually that was scary. That. And we've been having aftershocks pretty much every other day for like the last month. And every time, you know, you just kind of wonder, oh, is this like the big one is, or is this just an aftershock? So it's yeah. been a wake up call for sure. So I've got a question for you, I think, Ethan. What makes a prepper want to live in a tornado zone? <laughs> uh, right. So, yeah, I moved here. It was just It's definitely different hearing the, the sirens every, every Friday at 11 o'clock. The sirens go off just for, to test to make sure they're working, I guess. Right. Uh, it's still weird. To hear those because we grew up or i grew up yeah the west coast of the united states the west western area and uh yeah it's we've had i think just one scare in the two years i've lived here but yeah definitely uh uh no not fun not do, do you do you guys both hunt uh we both did it as teenagers with our father but i i have not done it i've just been so busy with life and haven't gotten back into it. Yeah, same here. Excuses that I that I shouldn't use, but yeah, I I haven't uh, been hunting since teenage years. Right. That's that's certainly something that um, I'm going to be getting into more and more. I've recently, so in the UK, you're probably familiar. Our gun laws are very very different to yours, and. Um, it's taken me an absolute age, but I've just got my license, my rifle license and shotgun license in the last week. But of course, because of the pandemic, all the gun shops are shut. So it's taken me months and months and months <laughs> to get this license. And now I'm just sat here and I can't even go and buy a gun. What kind of a game is there in the UK that people hunt? So... There is deer. It's, it's also very restrictive on, you know, you need the landowner's permission and it's not like you can just go out into vast open spaces. It, it's all very restricted. But um, on my own property, we have the occasional deer that comes through. And then it's after that, it's really small game, which I, I do take already with my air rifle. Things like uh, pigeon and pheasant and things like that there's not very much hunting for food in this country it's all for sport really beyond people like myself well yeah but then we, we don't have nearly the acreage you do out there you know so there's very little of the country that it is safe really to go out with a rifle and just start shooting because there's very little um vast open spaces that are somebody's active farm or something of that nature well, even in the United States, it varies by region. Like I know, in some of the states closer to Ethan, you can't you can't even hunt deer with a rifle. You have to use a shotgun. I don't know if Ethan knows better, but 
I've I've heard that in in places near Ethan, you can't use a rifle. Yeah, I'm not up to date on the specific laws in my area just because I haven't gone that route yet. But, um, yeah, it's, that's not even something right. I knew. Well, I've run through my list, so I don't have anything else to really bring up. But uh, by all means, if either of you have got stuff to ask me or just talk about generally, then go for it. Um, I'll start. Um, I, I recently been watching some of your YouTube videos and listening to your podcast, and you say that uh, chickens are, are a good thing to start with if you're looking into livestock. Um, Definitely. Definitely. I've got just a small backyard, probably yeah. maybe 50 or 60 feet or so across. Um, how hard would that be for me to start? Oh, it'd be super easy. So I'm just trying to convert feet into meters but i guess it would work probably about 30 20 or 30 meters across uh 15 feet oh oh, no 20 or 30 meters so there's about four three and a bit feet in one meter is that right it's about five meters across yeah Yeah, okay um yeah no that would be easy so before we moved here our garden was maybe six meters across by 20 meters it was very small and we used to keep hens at the bottom end of that you only need so if you wanted say two hens do you you have a family i don't yet i've got one coming right okay so so you know you you probably so just to keep you guys in in eggs you could probably just have two hens but or maybe three and you really only need something like the size of say two bathtubs next to each other that would be enough and so long as you're, you know, giving them all the food they need and everything else, then that, that is plenty of space for, for, for two or three hens. If you can let them out onto your lawn um, as often as you can, then so, so much the better. The more, the more you can free range them, the less it's going to cost to feed them because they'll feed themselves with bugs and stuff like that in the meantime. But you, you've definitely got, you know, pretty much everyone's got the space to, to have at least a couple of hens. And they're the, they, they make great pets especially if you've got kids, they really do have a character. They're, they're just friendly, lovely animals. And, or at least on the most part, obviously like all animals, you get the odd one that is a bit different, but they're really, they're just so easy to look after. And they, they're just such a giving animal, you know, they're so productive, particularly if you get an egg leg breed, you the three hens are going to give you probably between 12 and 15 eggs a week. Wow. That's great. Yeah, I was well, also hoping they might be able to help out with the weeds as well. Oh, like, yeah, definitely. It really does depend on how manicured your garden is because they're not very uh, picky. So that you might find, you know, if, if your wife or yourself are really into gardening, they might scratch up a few of your your plants or seedlings that you didn't want them to scratch up. But absolutely, they'll help with with keeping some of the weeds down. Uh, one one other question I had is just because I live in a pretty urban area, maybe urban or suburban. Um, what would I do with uh, the droppings and the fertilizer? Oh, so we, so nine times out of 10, you, or 90% of it rather, you won't even need to think about. It's only what is, uh, what, w- what would happen within their bedding that you'd need to clean out. Now, what we do, we use something called the deep litter method. 
So we get, and for a small amount of chickens, one bag would last you literally years. But we get some agri-lime, agricultural lime, and we put their bedding down. So for, again, for a small number of chickens, you're talking just a big handful of straw is plenty. And we put a scattering of this lime in it. And that lime helps to keep the, uh, the mites at bay and keep everything dry. And then we literally, rather than cleaning that out every week or two weeks, we add a new layer of lime and straw on top so that we only actually clean out once every six months. This serves two purposes. Obviously, the first one is um, it keeps the labor down. But the second one, because the, um, the in the bedding, the feces and everything is going to be degrading and biodegrading, that actually gives off heat like a compost pile. So if you time it right, that can actually help to keep the temperature up ever so slightly for your hens through the coldest part of the year. But once you've done that, you're obviously not dealing with a massive amount to get rid of. So we would then, if if you've got a small, do you do you have a garden that you garden in? I do. I've got a, a raised bed. Great. Um, it's maybe one, two meters by one meter. Perfect. So and then I've got several like little containers. Perfect. So, um, so what your chickens are doing then as a byproduct of your egg production is they're also producing all the compost and fertilizer you, you're ever going to want. So... If you've got the space for a compost bin, the best thing to do would be to, when you clean them out, put it in the compost bin. And then the season after, it'd be rotted down nicely, go straight on your beds. You've got to be careful putting chicken manure straight around plants because it can be very acidic. But once it's rotted down for a season or so, then it's fine. The other thing to do is just use it as a very light mulch around the top of plants. So, you know, keep it a little bit further away, but you won't have trouble getting rid of it because you're it's just this fantastic fertilizer for the rest of your garden oh that sounds great yeah and you, got, uh... and you mentioned permaculture earlier so it's it's it feeds into that permaculture way of thinking of you know you've got your chickens your only input is a little bit of chicken food well hopefully you can make that up from kitchen scraps and weeds and bugs and then they're giving you eggs the byproduct is then going on your garden which is giving you potentially more it's just a, a lovely holistic system well, that sounds great. You've really um, given me a little bit more confidence to to try this. Do it. Uh, thank you. Do thank it. you very much, and you, Carl. Yeah, no worries. Please, don't, any problems, you know where I am. Oh, great. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. It, it just, it makes so much sense when you, when you talk about it and when you think about it, just why not do it if you've got yeah. any kind and of space they, they at really all. So, so that's awesome. Attention as well. They really do. Okay. So anything else or shall I wrap this up? Oh, it's been great. Yeah. Um, Well, do you want to let everybody know? Thank you for having us on. No, pleasure. Do you want to let everybody know where they can find you? Yeah, we're on uh, both Twitter and Instagram as uh, serve bros pod. S U R V B R O S P O D. And uh, it's also survival brothers podcast at gmail.com is that right ethan that's correct yeah feel free to uh, reach out to us if you have any more prepper related questions i think there is a lot of overlap between uh the two podcasts so uh, i think it's i think it's awesome that you had us well, on we appreciate yeah, it we're in, go on we're in america so we we do talk about guns quite a bit um even though that's not the biggest part of prepping it's uh you know I know it's what um, Americans like to, to hear and talk about. So, Understood. 
Understood. Well, thanks ever so much for your time, guys. And maybe we'll do this again sometime. Absolutely. If you find these podcasts valuable, there are several ways you can support them. The easiest ways are to rate it and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. You could also share it online, talk about it anywhere you blog, or find someone you think might be interested and point them our way. You can also find and support us on YouTube, where we are also Self-Sufficient Hub. Thanks for listening. Before we start, I want to say Blair, thank you, particularly, because for whatever reason, I'd never heard the, the trick of wrapping duct tape around your Bic lighter. Oh, yeah, I just, uh, it's like, it's uh, awesome. it's like function stacking and permaculture if you're, if you're, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah.